Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, this week the Bookshelf Cinema is screening Blue Jasmine, Blackfish... House of Flies and The Attack, and as part of the Bookshelf's 40th uh, anniversary reading series on September 20th at 7 p.m., the E-Bar presents the Feminist History Project, Playing It Forward, 50 Years of Women and Sport in Canada, featuring special guest Sandra Shamas, and the bookstore has some new titles in by Jaspreet Singh, Salman Rushdie, Stuart McLean, and recent Giller Prize nominees like Joseph Boyden, Michael Winter, and Wayne Johnston. The bookshelf is located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. Visit bookshelf.ca for more information. Creative Control with Beach Hello. How you doing? I'm, I'm okay. My whole family is under the weather. They all have like colds, chest colds. I'm persevering. I, I'm taking my vitamin C every day and I'm feeling pretty good. And I feel good about uh, this episode because... One of my heroes is on the show, Lou Barlow. Lou Barlow is on the program to talk about the brand new Sebado record. It's called Defend Yourself. It's amazing. It's out on Joyful Noise. And uh, I got uh, to talk to Lou about it recently, and it was a really great chat. We covered a lot of ground. I learned a lot about Lou that I didn't know before. And and even stuff you hear, you know, you want to just get it from the, I don't want to call Lou a horse, but the horse's mouth. So it was good. I got a chat. Uh, I got a chance to chat with Lou, and it was it's always fun. I've talked to Lou a few times. So uh, you're, you're going to hear that. Hey, I don't know if you're hearing this in time, but uh, tonight at Silence Guelph, 46 Essex Street in the city of Guelph, you can see Al Tuck and Fiverr. Fiverr's been on this show before. Maybe Al Tuck will be on the show soon, too. I got to figure that out. But anyway, just saying, that starts around 7.30 p.m., so if you want to come out to a good show, Silence Guelph, 46 Essex Street. I talked about this venue when uh, Glenn Jones was on the show. Cool venue. Should be a fun show. Anyway, let's get to Lou Barlow. Stay healthy, everyone. Listen to the episode and take your vitamins. Hey, this week's episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero. For my money, the best pizza you can eat in Guelph, Ontario. A proud, independent family business run by a punk rocker. Trocadero only uses a rich array of fresh ingredients cut by hand and homemade dough made daily, all baked to perfection inside of a stone oven. 
It's gourmet panzerati, calzones, wings, salads, garlic bread, breadsticks, and oh man, the pizza. The pizza. Personally, I like the gourmet domateo with goat cheese, artichoke, roasted red pepper, mushrooms. I sub out the turkey breast for eggplant, but that's just me. Wash the whole thing down with a brio. Man, I am getting hungry just talking about this. Call Pizza Trocadero at 519-829-2444. Visit them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph and online at trocaderoguelph.ca. T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. Lou Barlow is one of the most influential and inspiring figures in American underground rock music. A co-founder of the ever-vital Dinosaur Jr., Barlow went on to front the raw and powerful Sebado and its various offshoots, as well as the Folk Implosion, all of which led many to view him as a pioneer of no-frills, lo-fi recording, and gritty, emotive, honest punk rock songwriting. After some solo work, collaborating with others, and reuniting with Dinosaur Jr., Barlow began working with Jason Lowenstein and Bob D'Amico again, and if they ever really left, Sebado is now back with Defend Yourself, an excellent album out on Joyful Noise, and their first in 14 years. The band's upcoming tour includes November stops in Montreal, London, Hamilton, and Toronto, and here now to discuss many of the things I just said is Lou Barlow. Hey, Lou, how's it going? I'm okay, how are you? I'm well. Where in the world are you? I'm, I'm in my apartment in Los Angeles. I'm getting ready to leave in about three hours for a Dinosaur Junior tour. Oh, nice. Where where, where are you headed? Um, I'm not really sure. I know the first stop is, is like the Isle of Jersey, you know, one of those islands off the coast of England that I've never been to, so I think there's a festival there. Oh, okay. I thought you meant the Isle of yeah. New Jersey, which I believe is inland. I don't know, but it sounds like you're <laughs> taking a, a plane yeah. to England is what it sounds like. I, I've not heard That's of it. Yep, I'm going to England. Okay, that was, that, that's fun, that's fun. So the last time you and I, well, you didn't see me, but I saw you at Riot Fest in Toronto. Mm. And, mm. And when you guys, uh, Dinosaur Jr., played a great show, but you also uh, got to see the replacements, as as did I. What did you make of that? It was very sweet. You know, <laughs> I really, I really enjoyed it. I loved hearing, I've never really heard Paul Westerberg sing live. So that was kind of special because his voice was, I mean, that was a big deal for me. Like senior in high school, junior in high school, like their records really meant a lot to me. And so much about the replacements, just the kind of approach to things and how kind of haphazard they were back in the day and beautifully haphazard, you know. It kind of was striking me as I was watching them play. So I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, there was some scrappiness to their show. I mean, you know, they, they their words were forgotten, things like that, and it all had its kind of charm to it. Yeah, and you can imagine that was a lot like it was back in the day for them, too. So Yeah, and then you also, when you were on stage with Dinosaur Jr., you expressed some more love for Iggy and the Stooges, who also were on that bill. Yeah, and they had, did really good, too. They, kind of, yeah, they did, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, of course, yeah, the Stooges, yeah. <laughs> Big one. Have you seen them before? <laughs> had you seen them before that day? I saw the other lineup with Ron Ashton, the original guitar player. I saw a couple of shows. Mm-hmm. With that lineup, and the first one being just tremendous, like an incredible, incredibly nostalgic, 
you know, empowering thing to watch. It was before the Dinosaur Junior reunion, too. So it was one of those things that just kind of made me think that getting back together, getting bands back together is not a bad idea, you know. Yeah, you've been in bands that either slow down or stop, and then they come back. How Can you kind of maybe articulate that feeling of, of coming back uh, when a band is sort of gone or dormant for a while? What's that now? I'm sorry. My my question is my question is can you kind of articulate the feeling of coming back from being away when in a band like when a band of yours has been dormant for some time how does it feel actually to come back like what can you kind of talk about that a little bit well I guess with Sebeda we never really left but um, Dinosaur was pretty amazing you know that was kind of incredible that one was seemed really unlikely that it would ever happen and. I really love the music of, you know, Dinosaur Junior's music, so playing it again was pretty, that was pretty incredible. I mean, that was, long, that was eight years ago now, but um, I don't know. You know, I, mean, I, I I enjoy it. I mean, it's hard to, it's, I've enjoyed playing. I, Sebado, I just, like I said, I, hope, I feel like we never really went away, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it's pretty awesome playing for people who, you know, who do have an attachment to our older stuff. And, you know, it's it's a really good feeling. I have a, you know, I love playing with 702, so... Yeah. If there's a cold logic behind it, it is kind of interesting the effect that this has been having on audiences where a band will stop, maybe well before a a young fan base's time. Like, maybe the band has just ceased to exist. and And then lately, like zombies, and I feel like it's because of that show, The Walking Dead, all these bands are coming back to life. And <laughs> like zombies. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know another parallel. It does seem odd that uh, yeah. zombie culture and bands reuniting. I feel like there's a parallel that we're not really exploring. But uh, it, it, <laughs> it does do an interesting thing for a band because you create, whether you mean to or not, you create uh, a desire like a longing for the entity because it's just been gone for so long. And right. you've been on kind of either end of that. You've seen, when you talk about watching The Replacements, I assume you never saw The Replacements back in the day, or did you? I didn't, no. Yeah, so that was kind of, that's pretty cool. You got to see them, and then, you know, it creates both a like an emotional, it's like a nostalgic thing, but also like a renewed emotional attachment to them now. And, you know, I'm just thinking, you've been on either side of that. You've been a, as a fan and as a, person in bands that people love uh yeah it's just kind of interesting i don't know i don't know if you have any thoughts on it um i i guess i do but i just i like it that's my only <laughs> thought yeah that's right Veach. i like that <laughs> i have experienced it from both ends and i really and it's and it's you know like i said when i saw the stooges this was before the dinosaur junior reunion and it was like and i also saw a band uh called the contortions and i saw mission of burma play like all in one show and i was like man reunions good idea <laughs> you know was there part, so, was there ever a part of you that was sort of cynical about them before you actually witnessed them i guess there probably was yeah i mean generally bands that come back and have a comeback records it's not that great in my experience yeah you know yeah as a music fan that's never like you know it's never it's always like well, this is their reunion record. It's like, oh, oh well. Well, where's <laughs> the real ones? Yeah, you know, their first two records are the real ones, and all the you know reunion records are just like, yeah, that's nice they did that. Oh, good. 
great. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, again, that's a context thing. I think that's just our relationship with time. Like, we kind of, you know, you associate a band with a certain era, and then when they kind of seem to be from that era but are doing something new, it's hard to take sometimes. Yeah. yeah. You don't really want to let them be themselves, you know? You want, to, you want them to kind of stay in that little spot that you made for them. Yeah, the zombie version isn't as exciting. No. I wonder but. if the, I wonder I wonder if the zombies the actual band the zombies goes through this. I just, you know they were they came back. I know the zom- you know? those are actual zombies that actually came back. <laughs> <laughs> the actual zombies. When you said that initially, I was like, oh, you're referring to the uh, the British invasion era. <laughs> you know, the zombies were an amazing band. Yeah, I'd actually go see them. Yeah, I I'm, love the zombies. I'm just like formulating this theory as we're talking, so I don't. I haven't really put a lot of thought into it. The zombie theory. Well, but... the thing with zombies is they don't have brains, and they're like they're kind of. There's a negative association with zombies. That's it's true. hard to kind of get over that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah you yeah. know, they do. They do walk the earth like they have no brains. They walk the earth <laughs> just looking for like some kind of sustenance, just in the form of like flesh. And yeah, it's it's a little grim. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is kind of grim, but no. Just me, I mean, it, it makes me think. Oh, and I, like right away, I'm just the band's going money. You know, like with these zombies <laughs> looking for money. <laughs> like, uh, how do I live? How do I survive as a musician? Give me, give me. This isn't working out. Exactly. Oh my god. This is what I'm talking about. Now, see, now the theory, the theory has legs. The theory. Oh my god. <laughs> right. You can't. You can't make it. You can't have a new career. You got to go back to your old one. You got to fucking, uh, yeah. No, it, it is what. Okay, it, great. Yeah. I'm depressed. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to depress you. You have a good time with your zombie dinosaur junior band. No, no, I'm just teasing. It's, <laughs> it was great. It yeah. was great seeing you earlier in the in the in the introduction. I called you a pioneer. Does that make you feel old timey? Well, that word is completely. It doesn't make any sense to be honest. Pioneer. I mean, what? I am not a pioneer. <laughs> it sounds a little old timey and it's also just it's just basically incorrect. I mean it's not you know, pioneers are like who 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 were the real pioneers? Les Paul. He's a pioneer, okay. Sure. It's like the guy practically invented the the electric guitar, you know, and even Lou Reed, you know? Yeah. Pioneer, you know, like sort of just total left field art damaged rock. No one that's wasn't around that was you know that's pioneering 80 pop you could say just as far as like totally whacked out vocalist you know someone who really <clears throat> brought you know so much uh modern fucking anger and craziness to the stage 80 pop pioneer you know lou barlow <laughs> so much well <laughs> like, there is this you know he's a punk i'm just like a fucking a, a kid excuse me hardcore kid who's into hardcore music and I'm a, I mean, you know, I'm a fan. I was like a fan who, you know, got some bands together and followed very much in the footsteps of like other, other things. All right, and, and it doesn't sound like you're just being modest. You're just sort of stating it factually. But there is this perception that, you know, as a pioneer, you set up your four track in a wagon, you know, and there was like a horse horse drawn wagon, <laughs> and you would <laughs> you would set up your studio right. <laughs> studio in the wagon, and you would. <laughs> You would make these sounds, and you know, and you know, that's so, right. and that's that's just the way it worked. That's what people think. But you're saying that's not the case. You were just following other people's lead. I was, but it seems, but it seems like you were 
at least in sort of modern, uh, of the modern era, of the last 20, 25 years, you seem to be someone who got it right away. Like, you, you seem to be someone who moved into this realm of recording and sort of scrappy, but sort of not. Like, that sort of ability right. to, to capture something really well, uh, you know, I, for some reason, well, they, that's what has been ascribed to you. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, I list, there were bands like the Swell Maps, Young Marble Giants, all these UK punk, you know, post-punk bands, we called them, you know, that were enormously influential to me. And those, unlike all the hardcore records, like half of those records are recorded in people's basements on four tracks. And I mean, that was, you know, that kind of home recording idea was something that, I mean, that's just... You know, that was really uh, the punk era really kicked that in, and that was something that I just I was witnessing, you know, and that I maybe I experienced it as a young kid, and maybe I really I did, maybe I was one of the, maybe I I feel like I carried it on, you know, what I mean I'll I'll give I'll give it that I'll say that I carried on a tradition, right? You know? Right. That, I like that idea. I like the idea of being like a sort of handing off the baton or like the torch or whatever. Like here you go, here's the, you know, and bringing that to some to some other somebody else. You know, that's kind of cool. I like that idea. Okay. You know. Well, you cited some examples of artists that influenced you and inspired you, but can you maybe talk a little bit about what first got you into music, either listening to music or, or playing music? What was it at that in your life that uh, inspired you? Um, I loved, you know, I loved the radio when I was little. I loved AM radio. So I would sit in, I lived in Jackson, Michigan, and I would sit there with my little transistor radio and try to find radio stations and then I had a little map of North America on my my wall, and I would pinpoint, like, each station that I found, and um, I loved that. And I loved the crackle of the AM radio and, you know, songs coming through that static and and then just people talking and how funny it could be and how unexpected it could be just surfing the dial. And from there, I, you know, I discovered college radio when I moved to Massachusetts because there's simply so many colleges there and so much college radio, you know, college radio and, I heard, you know, the Dead Kennedys really early on, you know, probably mm-hmm. like 1980, like late 79, 80, um, on the radio just randomly, you know, like totally blew my mind. And then then there was, of course, things like the B-52s and Devo and the Ramones, and those are, that stuff just really spoke to me. And I, that's how I, when I started to really feel like I could write my own songs, because there was so much... There's so much comedy back then too. There was a lot of like really funny, like new wave, almost very funny bands, bands that just sang really ridiculous lyrics and serious stuff too. But it just really ran the whole gamut of just stuff being super, like very personal and and you know groundbreaking and radical, artistic, you know, art damaged. But then there was other stuff that was just hilarious, you know. Are there, you know, like are there, Blotto, some... there was a band called Blotto that I loved back then and. It's just a, like that, that late '80s, or excuse me, late '70s, early '80s was a really amazing time to discover music. So, would you say that because with the age of punk and new wave, there was an irreverence, you know, that seemed to be coming into music more. People were taking themselves maybe a little less seriously, and also taking oh yeah, right, and, and taking an opportunity exactly. to cut down people who were serious. So that that's basically when you came of age that's as a true. as a music fan, I guess. That's true. That's that's a much better way to articulate it. What you just said. That's true because that's what was happening. It was like it was, you know, it was like 
out with the old and with the new. It was exciting. It was funny. And Devo B-52s. And yeah, yeah. reference, exactly. Yeah, no, that, that, I can see how that informs your work, actually, on, on many levels. Oh, cool. How would you actually compare playing and even, you know, existing within a music network in the late 80s and mid mid to late 80s, you know, underground, that, that underground scene at that time, how would you compare that to what happened when things really exploded in the 90s? Um, I... I mean, just in a pure, like, I mean, it was just a lot, you know, in the late 80s, there wasn't that many clubs, and the clubs that you did have that you were playing were, like, could be really rough, you know, and it could be, it was, uh, yeah, there wasn't really a network. There was the net, the whole network was kind of being established then, you know, mm-hmm. there was, like, and when you went on tour, I mean, you would stand drink like, you you know, you just, you're gone. Like, that's it. Like, bye, mom, bye, dad. <laughs> I'm disappearing in a station wagon. I have no idea what's going to happen, you know. And and then I think when everything kind of like in, in the 90s, when everything, uh, you know, when obviously like bands like Nirvana went overground, but there was a whole bunch of other bands underneath Nirvana that were all that are, they were all doing well and, and were doing better and better and better. Like Dinosaur Jr. is certainly one of those bands. Sonic Youth, there was an incredible, like, you know, the clubs and, and the people that booked the clubs, it's, the connection started really happening. The connect, you know, like you, a real kind of community started to really come out of that. So mm-hmm. it meant that when you went on tour, it wasn't like entering this black hole. It was like you kind of knew what you were going to get. It became more predictable in a, in a good way for me personally because it meant that, oh, yeah, I can rely on being paid at these in all these different places that I go and I can actually make this work and I can make a life out of it. So, you know, but back in the 80s, it was like, make a life out of it. My God. You know, like, huh. that was, like, you're just doing it. You're doing it just to, to do it, you know, and to be part of, and to, you know, to do. I guess for Dinosaur Jr., we were definitely in the footsteps of Meat Puppets, Black Flag, all that stuff, and we wanted to be a part of that, you know. But yeah. it didn't mean that we thought we were going to... It wasn't like a career, you know. <laughs> it's like this, we're just doing this because we want to be a part of it. Okay, well, so that's that's interesting because I've talked to a few people who are kind of of your age demographic who kind of had the same experience of emerging in 80s underground and then, you know, things sort of went a little nutty in the 90s and some I feel like some of them kind of slightly resented that happening, but it sounds like for you it was it was a more empowering time and maybe maybe it was a good time like the, when when the nineties yeah, stuff happened. I loved it, yeah, okay, I had a great time in the nineties <laughs> I just the nineties were awesome for me. I had a really good time yeah you you, know? you did a lot of stuff, you did like a ton of stuff, and your profile was potentially at its right. highest. Yeah, and I had a really, you know, I mean, and I still played it as I felt it. I mean, I did some shows that were really, really terrible, and I made a lot of enemies, but then I also made a lot of friends and played some great shows, and it was just a full, it was a whole rich experience for me. Yeah, and then transitioning into this century, what what was your take on what happened? Uh, as Well, we, um, the 2000s were really hard, you know, for me, I guess, like, just career-wise, it was tough because, you know, there weren't really... Like, Sebado kind of got real passe, like, in 99 and 2000, which makes sense, I mean, because we were around for a long time. And there was also this all these new bands coming out, like, I mean, just Strokes and Interpol, Modest Mouse, Death Cab for Cutie, this, this 
kind of tidal wave of these new newfangled indie rock bands that were really accomplished <laughs> like very accomplished bands great songwriting it just was not it sort of the whole ramshackle 90s thing of like you know uh pavement and and Sebado just kind of you know you know slouching up on stage and either being brilliant or terrible <laughs> like everything got much more consistent it seemed like yeah you know, yeah when, when 2000s hit and I, as a music fan, I loved it. I mean, I thought that was a really incredibly fertile time. And but as as a musician, as someone who was trying to like make my way and figure out how I was going to survive, it was terrifying because it was like it was pretty. Those were lean times. Right. So, and sort of the dinosaur junior, and then getting back with dinosaur and Sebado and stuff was a way of like surviving. Really, it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I think people want to see this. Like, you know, it was just a very basic, it was just basic mathematics. Like, okay, so I'll play with Dinosaur Jr. People go to the shows. All right. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of, that's, I hadn't had that experience in a while. And I was like, and, you know, so there was a practical, there was definitely a practical part of getting, you know, having these reunions, but, um, yeah, I don't. I, hopefully, people aren't too cynical about that. Like, yeah, look, you're doing it for the money. It's like, eh, not exactly right. <laughs> no, I think when but, you actually go, I mean, if there's any cynicism, it's kind of all external. When you actually go experience the bands again, like having seen Sebado and Dinosaur Junior in the last, basically, I've seen both bands a couple of times in the last year, and it's you, you, it's incredible. Like the performances are better. I find that some of the bands of that era are actually well, I don't want to use the word better because that's all objective, but you you did use the word consistent, which is interesting. It does seem a little less haphazard or, or something now. Yeah. And and I feel like that's wisdom and experience coming through. Yeah. You know, I mean, as much as that haphazard thing was kind of awesome in its way, like, like now it's like, you know, you just want to, I don't know, just just want to leave people with smiles on their faces and just yeah. have a good time. Yeah. You know, just have a good time. I mean, so. Yeah. Some artists of your vintage aren't really into social media, but you're, you and Sebado in particular, are, you're on Facebook, Twitter, Vine. Uh, I'm curious, why do you suppose you've embraced all of these things? Uh, well, to me, it just seems like an extension of like that fanzine culture, which I really liked. You know, I really loved... Like the fan, there was some, there was so many great fanzines in the in the eighties and nineties, and a, a lot of what made it great was people really writing exactly what they were thinking and experiencing. I mean, even someone like Steve Albini, who would he would always come out, you know, sort of, uh, sort of semi annually with these incredible tirades against people and I, you know, and so you're getting this real unfiltered people's opinions in a kind of unfiltered way, and that's what I kind of took from fanzine cultures and. So to me, this kind of like immediate stuff of Vine and that stuff is funny. Like, like, it's, like it's funny. I mean, like Facebook is is kind of is kind of a cool way for people. For me, it's a lot to do with like someone putting up a link to some YouTube video that they saw of a band. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know, I like it for sharing music. You know, I really like that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I understand the other implications, people's privacy issues, all that stuff, whatever. But like, what I see it is, the basic thing is just communicate, talking about music mm-hmm. and ideas and lots of other things too. But what I really take from it, and what I really enjoy about it, is is the musical aspect of it. Oh, okay. So, and I see, and to me, it's it's very similar to. I. It, I just see it as a continuation. I mean, I see people actually, this is like people able to do it on an underground and direct level with each other without being, without sort of corporate mediation and all that. I mean, even, yes, Facebook is a corporation, yes, all that, but within that, there's direct communication between people. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. And, and it's kind of, for me anyway, when it's done right, it's really awesome to check out someone's Vine like to to check out like the Sebado vine or, or maybe it's yours. I think I'm looking at yours, but it's really interesting to see that side of your personality come through. It's like a whole other really simple, accessible way of just seeing another outlet uh, of creativity for you. Right. Which is fun. And it's yeah. usually it's fun and funny. Like it's, I feel like I've been kind of cynical about every new social media platform on some level, but I've, I, I haven't been using it the way it should be used on some level, but I am enjoying vine. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, vines. My daughter, my my eight year old, was making a ton of vines for a while, and they were amazing. She's, and then she just got she got she tired of it and stopped it. But she was doing the coolest vines for a while, and and she and she would follow just like housewife, like other just <laughs> this is funny stuff, like just normal people. I mean, there's a lot of people that really take vine and they make these little epic, little brilliant, little comedic things. But then there's people that are just it's just slices of life that are really, really sweet, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, it's cool. It's, it, it's And it seems, as you say, it's very real. Like, it just, it, there's not, you can't do, as far as I know, I've seen some things that are very well done and seem like kind of processed, but the ones that really resonate are fairly organic, you know? Like, they're just sort of things that happen. You can't do much with the, with the, uh, with the platform. You just, you, you, you get what you get, and then you put it out. And I kind of, I kind of like that. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Me too. Uh, I want to obviously ask you about the, the new album. Uh, when did work on Defend Yourself begin for you guys? Uh, two, May in 2012. Oh, okay. May of last year. Okay. And, and was... There was like... Sorry, go ahead. No, you you go. You go, Lou. Oh, okay. Well, I was just going to blab on about the scheduling of it. It was 2000, we, May 2012. It was just on the heels of me finishing the new Dinosaur Jr. record. I had a couple of months off. Spent, you know, three or four weeks... Maybe or maybe just two weeks with Jason and Bob, and recorded 50, we recorded twenty songs, mm-hmm. and then we then we as the year progressed, we found the time to work on the songs and finish them, and we put ourselves to a deadline of like early you know early two thousand thirteen, and and got it all mixed and ready to go in early two thousand thirteen. 
And was there anything unusual about your collaboration this time around? Was it was it fairly normal? Uh, I don't know. It, it seemed even more. It was just so un, like we. It was just the three of us dealing with each other. So that was pretty refreshing. I don't know. I mean, we, we've 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 worked with people. We were in real studios for you know quite a few of our records and. There was always people hanging around. We never really had just one drummer. We always had people kind of floating in and out of the the band. But this is a very it was this has just been the three of us for a couple of years now. So it was like we got to go and hang out and record music, but just the three of us. We didn't. There was no engineer. There was no any. You know. So it was very direct, like just direct communication between us. And it to me, it was like the ideal of the band initially, which was just you know, it's like three people that work together and help each other. <laughs> like that's it, and that's all about us. And it's like nobody else. It's just about the three of us and what kind of record we want to put together. And, and it's about supporting each other. And this record, it was, it was the most like clear-cut example of that I've ever experienced. You know? So in ter- when you say there was no engineer, where and who, how was this recorded? I, I Where, how, who? Jason did it. Jason did it. He's got, Jason's got all the stuff. He's got, a, he's got like a his laptop and his hard drives and his magic boxes that connect microphones to your computer. And <laughs> that was it. <laughs> okay. So Jason did it all. That's interesting. Yeah. He, Jason, the engineer for the record. A couple of years ago, uh, maybe it was longer than a couple now, I interviewed um, Rick White. of. Do you know Rick White of Eric's Trip and Elevator? Yeah, Radio? yeah. Yeah. He was yep. talking, he was, he was sort of saying, we were kind of talking about the history of Eric's Trip and he kind of came to this realization that he feels like every single band an artist should do everything themselves. Like even if it's not great, they should just learn to yeah. do all the artwork and record themselves. And that should yep. be, that should all be part of it. What do you, do you believe in that? I do for myself. Yeah, for sure. And is the, yeah. for, for him, I think it was an aesthetic decision as much as like, it sort of makes your, I like as, as much as much as much as it's like taking ownership. It's actually like an aesthetic. Like this is all me. Yeah, it's kind of it's. It makes it more important that way. It makes it like an, it makes it more of like something that's. It becomes something that represents your life. It becomes like an. It becomes something that you're. I don't know. You know. I mean. It just. It's. It becomes like a very. Like it's like a photo album, more like. Mm-hmm becomes a real piece of your life that you're sharing with people, you know. Yeah. The less filtered it is, it, it's just it becomes more. And then that is like I have, you know, for me personally, that's really exciting. Yeah. If I see bands, I love it when bands do their own artwork. And I think there's, I mean, it's talking about, I mean, like Death Cab for Cutie, that band recorded all their own stuff. I think they continued to do that like way into their later releases, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them, yeah, a lot of these, I mean. A lot of them, like Grizzly Bear, do that too. I think, um, you know, a lot of the, these newer bands that have really unique sounds are they have that because they they really did it themselves, you know. Mm. But in the case of like Eric Strip and Sebado, yeah, like that kind of rawness, I think it's really cool. I mean, I like it. You know? Yeah, yeah, no, me too. Yeah, you know, you've I, I noticed that you have said a few times now that Sebado never really stopped yet. Defend Yourself is your first album in 14 years. Can you maybe define what not stopping means to you and how, <laughs> how that relates to um, the real world, Lou? <laughs> well, we, the band broke. We, we, had, we played our last show in support of the Sebado like in 2000. 
And I think we might have even actually had a recording session in 2001, you know, so like early 2001. And then we kind of, then we didn't really do any touring from 2001 till only, I think, God, uh, 2002 or three. I can't remember. It was like, when did we, I think we got back together in 2003. So there was really only about a two year hiatus there when Jason and I didn't play at all. Mm -hmm. And I went off and did some other things. So it was kind of a short period of time. And then, um, you know, by 2005, Jason and I had done uh, at least three or four tours as a duo. And then, then we got Eric back shortly after that, like in 2006, I think. And then we did that from 2006 to 2008. Then we got Bob and we did a lot of, we did, you know, we, so I only see it as like, there's only about a two year tops, even two years where we didn't do anything. So, but, um, but by your definition but, doing, but, 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 but doing anything and that's mostly live, like that's mostly that's live. Yeah, yeah I am. I'm making a difference. You know, doing a new record. No, we didn't do that. Right. So, and that's just that's a matter of circumstance. That's a matter of circumstance. That was a matter of timing and whether we could do it and make time to do it or could afford to do it, you know, stuff like that. Right. And were you, but when, when you were playing live and, and working together, were you writing? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. I started to, I started to kind of like find riffs. I would find riffs and things like, oh, this would be good for someone else. Mm-hmm. When we finally make the record, this would be good. You know, like this is something I should work on or expand with these guys when we get a chance to do it. So, so yeah, so, I started like boiling stuff away. Right. So the some of the stuff on Defend Yourself might span this entire time period that we're talking about. No. Sorry. No, it's not that old. It's actually fairly fresh for me. It's a pretty fresh group of songs. Okay, so uh, when you the stuff that you said you were kind of squirreling away, what happened to that? I went into a solo record. Ah. Or maybe like maybe Dinosaur Junior, or maybe I didn't do anything with it. Mm. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm just saying I was always thinking about it. I guess. Okay. Okay. Uh, my understanding is that some of the songs on Defend Yourself, the ones by you anyway, were informed by the end of your your marriage. And I'm curious if you can talk about how writing about that and 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 such things i guess helps you deal with them um well i i, I mean it does i was i've been trying to explain this concept to my girlfriend cuz she she's not really familiar with Sabado and hmm. um she goes like so you singing about these terrible things that happen to you every night makes you feel better <laughs> like she kind of like <laughs> like yeah it's like why? And I'm like, well, uh, <laughs> because you know, because repeating for some reason, yeah, by repeating things that have happened and gone, I've gone through is somehow it's it makes me feel better about it. Hmm. And even though all this stuff on the new record, like I'm definitely like it's pretty harsh. So, um, but I. Get, I, but I kind of have to be singing that stuff anyway just to remember it, you know. That's part of the thing, too. That, has, that probably has more to do with it than anything else, is that I have to have stuff that's so close, that, that is exactly what's going on with me. Otherwise, 
I have a really hard time remembering the lyrics. You know, I have to kind of really know know and be feeling what I'm singing, or have really experienced it, just just to even have it be possible for me to repeat it every night. Right. No, and I I understand that, but I mean, there is a school of thought. And by the way, I'm not a doctor, but there's a school of thought that uh, <laughs> that you know, letting go of stuff like this is actually the the quickest way to get over it. You are in a situation where you have this catalog of songs and many of them document your life and people in your life, good experiences and bad. So you're just mm. constantly in this, it, on some, like if I look at it externally, it kind of seems like you're always going to be in your own head and in this space mm. that's kind of, maybe kind of confusing. Well, the only thing I could say in my defense <laughs> with that is that I feel like the songs that I, I do write, I feel like I make them, I really try to work on making them like two sides. There's at least two sides of the story going on in any of those things. It's not like me pointing the finger like, you hurt me. I'll never be well. You know, like I just really, I feel like I shy away a lot from just those kind of pronouncements. Like you ruined me. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Like, I I feel like I stay away from that, and that because that's the kind of language. If you're repeating it a lot and living in that kind of bitterness, bitter state, yeah, that's pretty detrimental. That's not a really easy way to be a healthy person. Mm-hmm. But I do think, like, by if you are, if, and what I feel this is in my most perfect world, perfect version of myself is that I write songs that that kind of encompass both sides of the story, and that by repeating them, I'm sort of using them as these mantras. I'm actually it's it's helping my understanding of the situation and helping me actually move beyond it and let it go. Huh. As opposed to holding on to, uh, holding on to the real nuggets of like, you know, hurt and, you know, and betrayal. It's like, I feel like I never felt like my songs were like for as depressing as people say they are. I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I don't feel like I'm just sitting there just talking about how I've been betrayed. I can talk about being lonely a little bit, but I can also talk about why I might feel that way. I mean, that's to me, I try to put that stuff in the in the lyrics, at least for myself. So I think that I'm at least I'm thinking of it, of it like from a couple of points of view, not just being a you know crybaby victim about it. No, I I would argue, in fact, quite the opposite. It seems to me that a lot of your most evocative songs are like dialogue. Yeah, and you know cool. it, it sounds like there's two two people kind of. I mean, it's your point of view, but it's like you're kind of. Uh, invoking and accepting another point of view at the same time. That's think, yeah, yeah. It's a really that's an important part of it. And like I guess with this stuff that's going on now, you know, there's um, there's an indignant side to it. You know, where I'm just like, God, you know, I've got to make this change in my life. Um, but hopefully, I'm tempering that a little bit with just some self examination. So it's it's not all just. Hopefully, you know. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I think so. Uh, has there been a song or a, an era from your sort of professional life, if you will, that you've had to because it's been so painful, you've had to excise it and like not revisit it? The song-wise, yeah. Um, not really. I guess the stuff that I feel that way about, I never perform in the first place. I'll oh. just record it okay. and not really play it again. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. I really choose the chest, the stuff that I choose to play is the stuff I feel like, okay, I can get away with saying this every night, you know. <laughs> right. You know, the title Defend Yourself has an empowering aspect to it. What what prompted that? 
Uh, well, the the phrase "defend yourself" appeared. Um, well, Jason actually had a song that he'd been carrying around for a couple of years called "Defend Yourself," and <clears throat> and I, when we started recording, one of the first songs I finished out of the batch of twenty songs. I was like, yeah, I'm going to call it Defend Yourself. And Jason's like, you know, I have a song called Defend Yourself. I'm like, oh, shoot, okay. Huh. And I'd already, worked, I'd already worked it into the chorus of the song. And then, you know, there's another song on the record where Jason, you know, uses the phrase Defend Myself, you know. You know uh, so that was there. So there was actually three, you know, three, like, little lyric nuggets there that all said that or reflected that theme. And then I do really think a lot of it, like a lot of where I was coming from and maybe even in my life and in general was like, you know, actually maybe just instead of like talking myself out of change and figuring out all the reasons that I'm wrong and and backtracking and trying to make things right, well, why don't I just like, <laughs> why don't I just actually say this is what I want? Hmm. And that's probably something I'm, I'm not really used to doing in my life, so... And that's kind of, a, and then also by doing that, I'm basically telling other people in my life, like, here, defend yourself. Mm. It's up to you now. I'm, I'm not taking care of this one, mm. which is a pretty harsh thing, but it was something I, I felt had to happen in my life. So, huh? That's interesting that I took it as empowering, but in in in, in, in a sense, it's actually, well, I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it is still empowering, um, but. Yeah, it, yeah, I think there's the, the reason that it works. It's like anything that we do. I like it because it's got a couple of meanings. You know, there's a couple of ways to look at it. So yeah, it's very. That's an good, yeah. yeah, it's very strange that there were three iterations of of defending oneself <laughs> floating on between yeah. you between you and Jason. That's really odd. Yeah, so I mean that was definitely that was part of it, and yeah, maybe and you... really if you listen, listen to all the songs together too, that definitely seemed like a theme. So. Hmm. Maybe you both subconsciously picked it up somewhere when you were in the same place. Well, I definitely subconsciously picked it up from him. <laughs> because I was like, yeah, I'm going to call it Defend Yourself. He's like, dude, I already have a song called Defend Yourself. Like, oh, sorry. <laughs> but the things, the things are good in the band, right? I mean, you guys, every time I've seen you and based on the vines, you're getting along really well. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I yeah, I enjoy, I enjoy Jason. He's really funny. Jason's, Jason's <laughs> among the funniest things things he's actually one among the funniest things i've ever <laughs> encountered he's very funny he, he, he really is yeah no no disrespect to bob bob's also got no, bob's really funny too yeah it's a great group it's a great group of people in fact uh, this brings me to my next question or whatever sebado did this amazingly remarkable thing last year i asked you guys to play a show in guelph with less than 24 Ooh. hours notice and you did it which was you know i'm still getting thanked for this so thank you for doing that uh, i'm curious how common is that sort of thing are you guys sort of generally up for for anything in this band we are i just mean someone, someone's just gonna ask us that's all <laughs> <laughs> i mean if it works you know i mean especially with guelph it was just like why not i mean of course yeah <laughs> the, the, the context was you were in hamilton on a Saturday. Yeah, you you did the work i mean you were the one who put you put it together yeah you know you're huh. like hey you, they've got a day off I'm going to ask them directly whether they want to play a show. You know, yeah, and, time, yeah, so. it, it it totally worked out. And fortunately, Bob and Jason had a nice relationship with Guelph already. They'd played there with Fiery Furnaces in a very similar yeah. circumstance, where someone asked them. My friend Peter Bradley just asked them to play 
at the last minute in between shows and it worked out. So it's it's mm. so basically if people ask you to do something it makes sense you'll do it. Yeah. Totally. That is excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so what 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 is next for Sebado? You've got uh, a bunch of touring coming up uh and you you know you put out an EP before this record are there other plans mm-hmm. at this point uh, that the band can make or are you just focused on touring? I think we're just trying to fill up next year and see if we can make it, make it through the year. Mm-hmm. Just doing Sabado. It's going to be a unique, it's kind of a unique challenge. We're just really going to scrap next year. We're just, we made a record we're happy with and now it's, now it's just time to fight. <laughs> so, <laughs> so all I can think of is just like fight, head down, like just hit, just get out there and tour as much as we can. And, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. No, it's just, that's the plan. It sounds like a good enough plan. I, I want to let people know once again that Sabato's first album in 14 years is an amazing one called Defend Yourself, and it's available now via Joyful Noise, and the band is on tour, uh, and they play Montreal's Il Mator on November 5th, London's Call of the Office on November 6th, Hamilton's Casbah on November 7th, and Toronto's Horseshoe Tavern on November 8th. Uh, unfortunately, no Guelph show at this point, but uh, you know what? I might ask them, and someday they might be able to do it, and that's just the way it's going to work. That's just how, right. it, how it has to be. Uh, for more information, please visit sebado.com. That's S-E-B-A-D-O-H.com. I spell it because it's a made-up word. Uh, or you can go to joyfulnoiserecordings.com. Uh, Lou, can we play a new song from the record uh, uh, now for people to hear? Please, go ahead. Well, Back so far. well I'd like to. <laughs> I, I was hoping you might pick it. Uh, yeah, don't make me pick it. What do you mean, don't let I you don't pick know. it? This, this, this <laughs> is your baby. You should, you should, you should tell me the one you wanted you want right. people to hear. Okay, play Oxygen off the record. Okay, now the million dollar question, Lou. Why did you pick Oxygen? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just thinking maybe that was one that people would overlook. So I was like, <laughs> oh, check that one out. There you go. You, you're actually defending itself. Oh, I'm boy. setting the record. I'm saying, hey, it's a deeper cut. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> this is Oxygen by Sebado. Lou Barlow, uh, always a great pleasure. Thank you so much again for your time. No problem.
Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com covered.